It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study hello and welcome into the program tonight uh, this thursday evening december 27 2007 my name is anthony Petrochko. i will be one of your hosts this evening i'm a member here at the college view church of christ in columbia tennessee and we have our regular hosts joining us on the phone tonight. Guys, how are you doing? We're doing good, Anthony. Can you hear us okay? We're you coming in loud and clear. All right, Anthony, you have the uh, honor of being the first ever guest host of the virtual Bible study. Wow, hey, I didn't know that. It's a, it's a history-making uh, night tonight. And you also, Anthony, this is Greg, you also get the nerve-wracking job of running all those uh, wires and, and uh, controlling all those buttons and so forth there on the control panel, and I'm glad you're doing that instead of me tonight. Yeah, I think it's safe to say my pulse is a little bit faster than it normally would be. (laughs) Well, thanks for helping us out. Uh, We're we're glad for all our listeners tonight. Glad you're out there listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We hope that you make this a regular Thursday night appointment. Uh, We enjoy studying the scriptures uh, together over the Internet. And it is a special program for tonight. We are uh, live on a remote location. Uh, We're we're sort of strung together here on the phones. Anthony's back at uh, home base keeping everything running for us. Uh, and as a result of that, you won't be able to call in on the phones tonight, but we do have our email, and it is up and ready to go. So send us your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. We have an interesting topic planned for tonight, and we'll look forward to your participation over the email at questions at collegeview.com. We're going to talk about a couple of questions that come up on a fairly regular basis, Dad. Yeah, we want to talk about about a couple of questions concerning Bible authority, and they are questions that I've heard over and over again through the years. I think they're important questions and certainly worthy of discussion. We, we need to have a Bible answer for questions that people ask us about why we do the things we do and why we do them the way we do. We ought to be able to give book, chapter, and verse. That's our goal. And so the two questions that we're going to try to study tonight, and I sent these questions out to our update list earlier today. Question one, does the church have the authority to maintain a treasury? Yes or no, and briefly give your reasons why or why not. So that's the first question. We want to talk about the question of the church maintaining a treasury or a fund of money. Uh, And then the second question is, does the church have authority for a church building, yes or no? And again, briefly give your reasons why or why not. So we've already got several responses. If you've not responded yet, we'd like to get your input on those two questions. Basically, the questions of Bible authority, is there authority for a church treasury? Is there authority for a church building? And these questions may be unique to the, uh, address to those who are members of the Church of Christ and perhaps some other uh, religious organizations, but specifically the Church of Christ, and because we are trying to follow the Bible in all that we do. We're trying to recreate the church or make sure that the church that we're a member of is the same as the church in the first century. Maybe some uh, denominations like uh, the Episcopal Church 
or the Methodist Church wouldn't be asked this question because that's not their premise. They're not trying to be exactly like the church in the in the, of the first century, the church that we read about in the New Testament. But we at the Church of Christ are trying to be like the church that we read about in our Bible. Yes, I've even had some people say, well, what does it matter? You know, we do a lot of things for which we don't have Bible authority. And, and that's a true statement for many people. For lots of people, that is true. But for us, we try to do nothing without Bible authority. We want Bible authority for every single thing that we do. Therefore, for instance, we're going to talk about the treasury question first, and, and then later we're going to talk about the church building question. But if you were to ask, you know, if you were to, if you were able to prove to us, Jacob, that there is no authority for a church building, we would be compelled to get rid of our church buildings. In other words, if, it, if it's not authorized, we are not going to do it. We're not going to excuse ourselves by saying we do lots of things without authority. We're going to say, no, if there's no authority, we'll get rid of our church building. Well, isn't that being picky, saying that we've got to have Bible authority for everything that we do? I mean, are, are you just being a little bit too uh, nitpicky there? Well, not actually. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that this is the way that we're supposed to re- approach our service to God. We would encourage everybody to develop this mentality. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, Whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That expression, in the name of, is an expression that denotes authority. We do it in his name or by his authority. And if we don't have his authority for it, then we should not be doing it. All right, so let's know your thoughts about the two questions we posed tonight. First of all, you might even answer the question, is it important that we have Bible authority? Is it important that we know that God approves of having a treasury and having a church building? And if so, are they approved? Can we have a treasury? Can we have a church building? We're looking forward to your thoughts or your questions at questions at collegeview.com. Again, you cannot call on the phone tonight, but we'll be glad to take your email. Jay, just to sort of emphasize that this is an important question, we got an email today from our friend Pat out in central Iowa, and he says, I've been tossing these two questions or variations of them around for quite some time. We here in the local church want to put up a new building, but some of the men here don't think that a new one is necessary. We also tend to set a bunch of ca- set on a bunch of cash for long periods of time, and that also stirs up some of the members that aren't spent that we aren't spending it more on benevolence. So, in short, I don't have the answer to your questions, but be, we'll be will but we'll be listening to your show tonight to see what others are saying. So, Pat, our friend Pat out in Central Iowa says to him, these are important questions. They need a good answer. And you may have asked the questions as well to yourself. Uh, what do you think? We'll look forward to your answers for your questions about this important subject at questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about a treasury, Anthony, uh, maybe you can quickly just tell us what we're talking about when we talk about a treasury. Sure. Well, you know, the idea, I think uh, most of us probably have a feeling of of what a treasury is. Um, And in this case, though, we want to be sure that we are all on the same page. I think by a treasury, we're just talking about a a sum of money, a store of of funds that can be used and, and spent for certain purposes. That's right. I think the word treasury literally means a thing laid up, according to Young's analytical concordance. And we know that that sort of a thing was a practice of the Jews prior to the establishment of the church. For instance, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, it speaks of Judas, which betrayed Jesus. And then he went after he had betrayed Jesus, when he felt remorse for having done so, it says he went and cast the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury. 
because it is the price of blood. And they took the council and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. And so here they had taken money and given it to Judas to betray Jesus. When he tried to give it back, and they, they said, we can't take this and put it back in the treasury. They had a treasury, but they weren't going to put this money into it. Uh, As Judas should have known something about a treasury. He held the bag. And there's some indication that there was a treasury uh, while he was a disciple of Christ. Even among the disciples, there was uh, a common fund of money, which is sort of the idea of a treasury. We know that Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, uh, it says, verse 41, that Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in much, and a certain poor, came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a, th- a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say to you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. So here concerning the, the widow who threw in the two mites, it was referring to a treasury that was common among the Jews. Now the Jews had ongoing... Uh, necessities related to the work of the temple and so forth, and they had a treasury in order to fund those sort of things. We read one more reference to that in John 8, verses 19 through 20. Jesus said, You neither know me nor my Father. If you had known me, you should should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So again, we know that this treasury or laying up of funds was a common practice among the Jews. Of course, that doesn't establish anything for us, Jacob. Our big question is, when the church was established in the first century, did they also have such a treasury? Well, let's uh, look into that question. We'll look forward to your comments along these lines and also about the authority for a church building. Again, you can email questions at collegeview.com with your questions or comments along these lines tonight. Well, uh, we see at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 through 37, there's an indication that there was a treasury to take care of the needs of the saints. Uh, We understand in the first century there was an enormous need uh, for the needs of the saints. And for Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 34, talks about that. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the price prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according to as he had need. And so there was a collection there, Dad, and it was put into what we would have to call the treasury for the distribution. Well, there was some common fund, some holding of common funds. It says they laid down this money at the apostles' feet, so they brought it to a central point. They laid it down. We said the word treasury literally means a thing laid up or something set aside. That's what they did here. And then it says that distribution was made from that fund. So there had to be a collecting, a holding, and a common fund before there could be a distribution out of that fund to to relieve the benevolent needs of those saints in Jerusalem. And so I think here we see indication in the very earliest days of the church that there certainly was a laying up and a, a holding of funds these things would be necessary in order that there could be a distribution made from that common fund. And, uh, Anthony, over in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, a similar statement is made, and it indicates again that there was this laying up of uh, funds in the New Testament uh, for the needs of the saints. That's right, and and, and that passage, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 reads, uh, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, 
and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, there we have uh, a, a giving or a laying up by uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Of course, we know from the rest of that story that this was a sinful type of activity. They kept back, um, sort of deceitfully, kept back some of those funds. But what they did give, they, they quote, laid it at the apostles' feet, which we understand to be sort of laying up as we've been talking about. All right, and then there's a passage in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. That's a familiar passage. Dad, I'll get your comment on it. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. An indication there uh, very clearly that uh, there was a uh, collection of funds that was put into a central holding for the church there in Corinth to be ready for when Paul came. Yes, I think that's exactly what that passage is teaching. I've had people who've disagreed about that. It says, Paul instructed them upon the the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. And I've heard people argue that what that means is in your uh, in your own budget sort of thing, lay aside this much money, maybe maybe. Put it aside in your sock drawer. In other words, it, it, I've had people argue this is not talking about the church maintaining treasure. This is just saying every first day of the week, let every Christian set aside some money, keep it uh, set apart in his budgetary considerations in case there would be a situation that would need it. But actually, the context actually denies that. Notice they were to lay by in store so that when Paul came to Corinth, he said there would be no gatherings. In other words, it would not necessitate a gathering when Paul arrived in Corinth. Paul was circulating through the churches, and he was going to be their messenger to carry funds to Jerusalem for needy saints. And the fact that he says lay by in store so that there won't be the necessity of gathering of money when I get there. In other words, the money was already gathered up. It was already being held in a common fund. Uh, the text itself actually proves that they were holding money in a common treasury. Now, literally, is there Bible authority for a, for a treasury? Exactly so. We see it in Acts, in the early chapters of Acts, when they laid the money at the apostles' feet and distribution was made. We read in Acts 4. And here from 1 Corinthians 6, we can prove conclusively that money was contributed into a common fund and held in such. It constituted a treasury. All right, let's talk about that uh, here as we go on. Talk about some of the uses of that fund, since we've shown that the, the treasury can be maintained. Let's talk about that here in a minute. Yeah, it's about time for a break, guys. So... Um, again, we welcome your, your questions and comments via email. Uh, maybe you could do that while we take this brief break. So uh, we'll be right back in a, in a few minutes, guys. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. Well, regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. 
a streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're discussing a couple of questions tonight. Right now we're talking about whether we have Bible authority to maintain a treasury. And uh, Jacob and Greg, I think we've pretty well established that this practice was certainly being done in the first century church. I think you're right, Anthony. It was a practice of the early Christians. We have the we have the established fact of that. We read in Acts chapter four. We also I think I said this wrong a minute ago, Anthony. First Corinthians sixteen verses one and two is where Paul instructed them to lay by in store. We know that they were doing that. Now, someone might object and say, "Where does it say? Where does it ever say that it was a treasury?" Well. Uh, we don't have that word used. That's not that word is not used concerning the things that these Christians did. But you know, you could call it anything that you wanted to call it. If you if you could call it a pile of money, a pot of money, a bag of money, a, a financial resource, or a central fund, or a treasury. I don't care what you call it. But what we're saying is it. And the word treasury literally means a thing laid up, as we said earlier. And it's clear that they were laying up funds. There's just not any doubt about that. Uh, you know, again, some people say that the word treasury is not in the Bible, but not everything that we talk about has the the Bible designation. For instance, we talk about Jesus giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Well, that's our terminology. That's what we call it. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, we call that the Great Commission. The Bible doesn't call it that, but we understand what we mean, and that's what we say. That's what we're talking about when we mention a treasury. The New Testament doesn't use that term, but it certainly talks about the concept, and that's what we're discussing here. Now, there's one other objection that I frequently hear raised, and it's this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the funds collected there were collected for a specific purpose, and that specific purpose was needy saints. Let me read that again, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And so this was a collection for needy saints. And so people say, well, that was a specific need. And therefore, the contribution was for that specific purpose. But I would argue that what we have here is Bible authority for how the church obtains funds to do authorized work. Uh, in other words, if, the, if there is authorized work for the church to do, then how are they going to get the funds to do that? And the answer is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. They're going to do it the same way that the early Christians did. Now, it may not, in other words, if we have a work of benevolence, we're going to do it like they did in 1 Corinthians 16. But if there's a work of evangelism to be done, and I think there's consistently a work of evangelism, how are we going to get the funds to do evangelistic work? Well, the only authority that we have in the New Testament is to do it the way they did it, and that is a first day of the week contribution. All right, so we have that uh, that pattern there of the first century church. We realize that that was how they were to gather the funds, and so that would be the pattern that we would need to follow today. Yeah, uh, our friend, if I can if I can get this to stay up here for me, Jacob, we got an email from Phil up in Newcastle, Indiana. He's making this exact point, exact point, and I think he does a good job with it. If I can get this computer to act right here, and we'll read it to you. Phil says yes. Do we have authority for treasury? Yes. The Corinthian church had a treasury because of the God-given work of caring for needy saints. 
The necessary conclusion is that when the church has other God-given work requiring money, the church should be prepared to respond promptly. Maintaining a treasury reflects that this work is taken seriously. Proverbs 6, 8 and 10, 5 speak to the wisdom of looking ahead, anticipating a need, and taking steps now to be ready in the future. Maintaining a treasury is one way a church can do this. So I think Phil's right on the mark, and I especially like his statement here. The necessary conclusion from 1 Corinthians 16 is that when the church has God-given work requiring money, this is how the church comes by that money. And the church does have an ongoing need uh, to have money in a common uh, fund to take care of the God-given responsibilities of the church, one of those being uh, the benevolence and the care of needy saints. And we see that very clearly in the New Testament, First Corinthians chapter. Uh, well, the, another work would be evangelism, benevolence or evangelism. Two things that would require funds in a common location, uh, benevolence, um, is required, and also evangelism. In First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine. First uh, Corinthians nine, six through fourteen. Or I, or only, or I only, and Barnabas have we not power to forbear working? Who goeth, uh, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Uh, for it is written the law in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox of the muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of the, for the oxen, or saith He altogether it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, it, this is written. Even so hath the law. Uh, the Lord, I can't read, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. You know, that that's a particularly important passage to preachers. We, we think that's a very important passage. It says it's right to pay the preacher. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 14, we didn't read all that, but read highlights of that passage. But especially that last phrase you just read there, Jacob, hath hath not the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's a passage that authorized paying the preacher. How are you going to get the money to pay the preacher? Well, the only authority we have whereby the church can come by money is on the first day of the week laying by and store into a treasury. And so the fact that the preacher is to pay is to be paid implies that there's a right to maintain a treasury for the paying of the preacher. Well, and Paul did take that that pay in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. We know sometimes Paul did not take that pay, but in Second Corinthians 11, verse 8, he says, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. And so the indication is there, Dad, that that money would have come out of a common treasury uh, from the church. How else would they have got the money? Did they have a bake sale? Did they have a raffle? Uh, did they have a car wash? What did they do? How did they get the money? Well, the only information we have on that is what we read in 1 Corinthians 16, where they were instructed to lay by a store on the first day of the week. So the first day of the week contribution into a common fund was the way in which they had financial resources available to do authorized work, either of benevolence or evangelism. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is another place where we read about Paul receiving funds. Uh, in Philippians 4, verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Well, how did the church at Philippi have money to send to Paul? How'd they get it? You know, if you want to suggest they got it some other way, then you're going to have to show us some other way in which New Testament churches got funds. 
But we're going to say they got the money by the laying by in store on the first day of the week into a common treasury, into a fund, so that distribution could be made from that fund. That's the only conclusion we can reach. So we see two ways that the money was used in this common treasury, that being the the paying of uh, the, uh, the cost associated with evangelism and also uh, the uh, benevolence of the needy saints in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, where the collection was designated there for being for those needy saints. We got some emails, Jacob, on this topic. Don in Antioch, Tennessee, says there is authority for local congregations to have tre- a treasury. He doesn't he doesn't elaborate on that, but he says the problem, however, is when the treasury becomes treasured, and that might be true. There might be some instances where people become too devoted to the treasury of the church and they don't want to spend it for the things that it ought to be spent and, for. And uh, we've probably known instances of that. That certainly needs to be guarded against because the treasury is for. Uh, doing the work that the Lord has given to the church and the money that is required in order to accomplish that. Our friend in uh, our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, has written, yes. He's we... actually in Richmond, Virginia. Tonight. Actually, that's right. He says, uh, we are in Richmond, Virginia. So Jim's not home. He's in Richmond, Virginia at this time. And he says, yes, we do have the authority to have a treasury. Uh, if we are commanded, as in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, to take up a collection, then of necessity that collection is the treasury. The church has authority to use that collection for A, poor saints, B, widows from 1 Timothy 5, and C, providing the support of preachers as with Paul. Uh, He says authority can only come from God's word. I think we all understand that this is the only way that it can be established that we might walk by faith. Since faith is established by God's word, Romans 10, 17, then authority to do something must come about from the word of God the same way. Thus, if we have God's word telling us what we can do and we do it, we are walking by faith and continuing fellowship with God. We have authority for this, Jim says, and we see it in the passages that we've been looking at. I like his comments there. That shows the importance of having authority because without it, we can't have faith. We can't be doing something in faith if we don't have the authority from God's word. We got an email from Brad in North Alabama who says, uh, is there authority for a treasury? Yes, this one is pretty straightforward. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. If there were to be no collections when Paul arrived, then the money was to be collected together in one place awaiting Paul's arrival. That's a treasury, a place for money to be collected until finally you're ready to use it. It could be in a bank, in a safe, in a locking chest, or in a sock under the bed. It's still a treasury. Once it's been once it's been collected into a common fund, it is, by definition, a thing laid up. It is a treasury. Join in on the discussion tonight. Again, you cannot call, but you can email. We'll be glad to take your email. We're looking forward to your participation. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use tonight as we talk about the authority from the Bible Again, we need to have authority, as Jim mentioned, from Richmond, Virginia tonight. Uh, it is important to have authority. Without it, we cannot have faith. And uh, so we need to have Bible authority. What about the Bible authority for a treasury and for church buildings? Let us know your thoughts. Let's get one more email here before we go to a break. Anthony, I think we're about coming up on a break time, but let me get one more email. Uh, Jason from Pennsylvania says uh, about the treasury. In First Timothy 5, Timothy was given instructions on what to do in helping widows. There's a distinction made between helping the widows individually and collectively. The question to ask is, where was the money coming from that the church was using to help widows? The only conclusion I can see coming uh, is that the money was being put aside into a treasury. It's an interesting uh, uh, way to put together that. I think I, I agree completely with Jason. 
uh, there was in First Timothy chapter 5, it says in verse 16, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So if a widow had individual family members who could help her, they were to do that. If the widow had no family that could help her, the church was to help her. Well, how is the church going to help her? Where's, she, where's the church going to get those funds? Off, again, authority. Uh, implied authority for a treasury. All right, good uh, discussion so far. We'll look forward to your participation in just a few more minutes. Enjoying the virtual Bible Are study? There, Email a friend during this break and tell them to okay. join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible yet? study after this commercial. I think you Tonight, have already got the break going, going so we'll, uh, we'll let it roll. It's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. <laughs> and then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> and at 9 o'clock. It's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. All right, we're back. Uh, we are ready to... Perhaps jump into another question, guys. Do we have any more emails to, to attend to? I think we might have messed you up on that break, Anthony. I think that uh, we implied a, a time to go to a break, but we were reading one more email, and we were reading an email from Jason in Pennsylvania. I think that I think that was uh, that was included before you went to the break, right, Anthony? Sorry, guys. Yeah, we got our lines crossed a bit. We did uh, hear the discussion on that email, um, okay. so I think we're all set to go. Yeah, Anthony, you're doing a good job. If it wasn't for us on this end, uh, everything would be going smooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are looking forward to your emails, though. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the discussion and to let us know your thoughts. Do we have authority for a treasury? Is there authority for a church building? Can the church own a church building? Um, that's the second question that we posed earlier today to those on our update list. The first question was, is there authority for Treasury? And I think we've come to a firm conclusion, absolutely yes. There's just not any doubt about that, in my opinion, based upon what the Scriptures teach. The second question, and this is one that comes up pretty frequently also, is, is there authority for a uh, church building? And, and honestly, the argument is made that, in the New Testament, you can't read about the church having a church building of the type or sort that we have these days, Jacob. I mean, read the New Testament through and through, and you're not going to find any evidence of a church that owned and maintained a church building uh, that was in, uh, like our own. Uh, and so, you know, we say we want to do everything with Bible authority. We want to be like the New Testament church. If they didn't have church buildings, how do we know we have authority for church buildings? Are we doing something wrong? To maintain a church well, well we could even go one step farther what about uh electric lights in a church building do we have authority for that if we could show somewhere that the church had a meeting house that they met in 
could we show from the scriptures that they had electric lights? And the answer to that, well, we didn't have to go to the Bible to find that answer. They didn't have electric lights. Do we have authority to have lights in a church building? Do we have authority to have pews in a church building? Uh, the list could go on and on. But it is a valid question, one that we need to ask. I think that's exactly right. I would start out the discussion by saying, yes, I think we have authority for a church building, but it, it, it requires some logical reasoning or deduction from the Scriptures. Now, remember, when we talk about Bible authority, we talk about we talk about Bible authority, we talk about direct commander statement, approved apostolic example, or necessary inference. And I believe in regards to the church building question, Jacob, we're looking to the third way of deducing Bible authority, and that is by necessary inference. All right, to build that case then for the necessary inference, let's begin with a passage that's well-known, Anthony, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. That verse says, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so explain to what, what we're reading there in that passage. We have a command uh, there. Exactly. So clearly in, in this verse, we're, uh, we have the command of the obligation as Christians to assemble ourselves together. Uh, in this passage, uh, the Hebrews writer is, is actually rebuking those Christians, some of those who had forsaken the attendance of the assembly. But sort of the, the necessary deduction is, well, if we have the command to assemble together, we have to have a place to do it. That's right, and that's, that's what we call necessary inference. In other words, we, we make an inference from what's stated. The, something is clearly implied. We make the inference that this is what we're to do. The, we might draw a parallel. You know, in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 15, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The command to go is a command that would imply that we must facilitate some means of going. Uh, you know, we could go on foot, we could go in a ship, we could go on horseback, or in a, an animal-drawn cart, or we could go now in a car or an airplane or a train. Or we could go by radio or television or Internet. There's lots of different ways to go. The word to, the, the command to go leaves open to us many options as to how we get to the presence or in the presence of those who need to be taught. It's general authority, and it gives us the, the opportunity to use various expedient means to carry that out. The authority to, to have a church building is of that same nature. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, which we just read, says that we are to assemble. The command to assemble implies the necessity of a place for such assembly. Now, that assembly could be uh, under a shade tree somewhere, although there's some obvious limitations to using some. And sometimes during the year, the weather would be just perfect for meeting under a shade tree. But most of the time, it's not perfect for that. We could meet under a tent. We could meet in a rented building. We could meet in a private home. Or we could, re we could meet in a building that is owned and maintained for that purpose. All of those are necessarily implied expedients to accomplish the end. And so judgment has to be used, And I think, but I think clearly the implication is there. Phil in Indiana has written, is there authority for a church building? He says, yes, God will, God's will calls for Christians to assemble for various good and necessary purposes. God's will cannot be carried out without providing a place for following his instructions. A purchased meeting house is not the only or the required solution, but it is an authorized solution. 
the church in Indiana, one place in Indiana, prefers a rental arrangement. Many other churches think that the Lord's work is better served by owning their own meeting places. Judgments may differ, but acknowledging that a meeting place is authorized does not differ. We understand, uh, and I think he's right, we're, we're understanding that the command to assemble requires a place for such assembly. All right, let us know your thoughts. Questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you in the discussion tonight. Um, you know, there's a lot of judgment. I think Phil's email suggested the idea of judgments that have to be made relative to this. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Expediencies... And that's what he mentioned there, things that are expedient or not expedient. Expediencies are a, a means to an end, something fit or suitable for the purpose. We might go back to the Old Testament story of Jacob of Noah when he was instructed to build an ark of gopher wood in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. He was told to use gopher wood, but he was not told how to cut the trees down, how to transport the lumber uh, to the assembly point how to hew it into the necessary forms for the construction of the ark. But the fact that he was told to construct the ark of gopher wood would imply that he would have to do all of those things, and he would be left to his judgment as to how to accomplish them. That being the case, we can make the same parallel to us. We're, we're commanded to assemble. Therefore, we're going to have to use judgments or expedience to get the job done. Uh, good judgment is essential. And, and as Phil said in his email, maybe sometimes the expedient thing is to rent a facility. But maybe other time the expedient thing to do is to own and maintain a facility. Judgment has to be applied, but these things are authorized. Let me ask you a question, because we do read about uh, churches in the New Testament meeting from house to house. Do you believe that uh, we then should be required to follow that pattern? Uh, that we see in the first century that the churches were meeting from house to house. Some people are doing that these days, and that is a popular movement. Is uh, that uh, that example of the, the churches in the first century meeting from house to house, is that a binding example where we need to be doing the same? Do we have authority for how we meet? I think in the past we have talked on the virtual Bible study about when examples become binding examples. We believe some examples are authoritative and uh, set an exclusive pattern. For instance, we meet. We, we have the the uh, the example of Christians meeting on the first day of the week to to participate in the Lord's Supper, Acts 20, verse 7. It's the only information we have about when we should observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Therefore, we believe it is a binding example because there's no other that contradicts it. But on the other, but but in this matter, as you said, certainly there were instances of Christians meeting in private homes, but that's not the exclusive example. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, just as soon as the church was established, it was a huge congregation of over 3,000 people, and they did their meeting in a public place on the grounds of the temple in Jerusalem. And so we could not say that the exclusive example of where churches met was in private homes. It's not an exclusive example. There are other examples. Therefore, none of them can be said to be the exclusive pattern to follow. All right, but are we then obligated to follow some of the pattern? We follow the uh, one of the methods that is presented. So are we limited then to meeting in the temple and meeting in homes and uh, meeting in the other places we can read about in the New Testament, or do we have authority to meet anywhere? I think that, well, I think the rule of interpretation that we want to use here is that since no 
exclusive pattern is established, then we are free to use expedience, to, in other words, judgment, to what works best. All right. Let us know your thoughts along these lines or any question or comment you may have about what we've been talking about tonight or any Bible subject. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com so we can take your question or comment tonight. You know, we might point out to you that, that you could use bad judgment in reference to a church building. And I think plenty of examples are manifest of that when we see very elaborate buildings, very expensive and highly ornate buildings. Uh, certainly many denominations are engaged in that practice. Even some of our own brethren are doing those sort of things these days. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was preaching to the idol worshipers in Athens, he said, Acts 17 verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing that he giveth life and breath and all things. You know, um, God's not worshipped in temples made with hands. In other words, when some people try to build a temple and um, very elaborate and ornate and very expensive, they need to understand that this is not what God's looking for. That's not the key. That's not the principal aspect. Buildings suitable for assembly are appropriate. Judgment has to be used, but caution should be exercised not to make them uh, uh, extreme. In other words, we are responsible for making good judgments in in relationship to these things. Well, what you're saying, there are more important things in a church building uh, that uh, could be used uh, for the Lord's money. So if we have an adequate building and we have the funds left over then to use in evangelism or benevolence, that would be more important than building a bigger building that would be more ornate. That's right. I think that that we that, that you could make a mistake in judgment when it comes to a church building. Uh, you could you you could err on the side of too much. In other words, too elaborate, too fancy. But you could also err on the side of too little. Uh, bad judgment uh, wouldn't be expedient. You know, for instance, if if we didn't have electricity in a building these days, that would be not expedient to the purposes for which we want to accomplish. Uh, if we didn't have inside plumbing. These days, that'd be not expedient. In fact, it wouldn't even meet public assembly codes. And so judgment will have to be used in such manner. Um, we, You know, one of the things that I think we should be careful about, in the book of Haggai, uh, the prophet was chiding the, the people of Judah because when they returned from captivity, they had got busy building their own houses, and they had not uh, completed building the temple of God. And Haggai said to them in Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lies in waste? In other words, they weren't taking the care of uh, to provide their place of worship that they had taken in providing their own dwelling places. And, that, and, and the prophet chided them for that. I think the same thing is true for us. You know, we we need to provide a suitable place for the worship of God, and it could be rented or it could be owned, but it needs to be suitable for the purposes. And if if it if it doesn't even contain the things that we would consider acceptable in a private dwelling house, it wouldn't be acceptable judgment in regards to a public meeting place for the church. Are you saying that the church building is the temple? No, absolutely not. We're not saying that, but we are saying that there the prophet was chiding them for saying, you know. They gave more care to their own matters than than consideration and care for providing for the worship of God, and we should be careful about the same thing. All right. I think it's about time to throw it back to Anthony. 
Sounds good. Yeah, it's, we're right about time for another break, so we'll get that kicked off, and this will be a good time to get your fingers working and send us an email at questions at collegeview.com. We will uh, listen to a, a few announcements here, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word taught every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. All right, we're back from our break. And, guys, we're talking about the authority for a church building. Jake, uh, uh, Anthony, we've got some uh, some emails that have come in. Uh, Jim has written in and concerning the authority for a building. He says, again, for authority to be established, there must be a command. We are commanded as saints to come together on the first day of the week, Acts 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Of necessity, there must be a place to come to. Whether this is an open field, a rented place, a private dwelling, or such, the church has authority to have a place in order to fulfill the command to come together. We often speak of this type of authority as generic in that it is implied in the fulfilling of the command. Like Noah having a generic command or a generic authority with respect to the tools he chose to fulfill the command to build the ark. The building is a tool helped to helping to fulfill the command to come together. As an aside, that building can thus only be used to comply to whatever commands God has provided. It cannot be used for any other purpose than to help in fulfilling God's will with respect to the work of the church in evangelism, worship, edification, and benevolence. I think that's an interesting point that Jim makes there, Jacob. He's saying if it's authorized, and we're arguing that it is, the command to assemble authorizes the the church building, then it would also limit the uses of that building for the thing thus authorized. We wouldn't want to use the church building. Uh, you know, we got a large auditorium there, and uh, most auditoriums uh, these days in a church building would have a screen and even have a projection system with a nice sound system. What uh, Jim is saying there is that we wouldn't want to use in this building that has been set aside for the purposes of uh, providing a place to assemble we wouldn't want to use that on uh, Monday through Friday as a movie theater. Right. Not, that would not be authorized. All the equipment's there, but we wouldn't. that wouldn't be an authorized use of that, that, that facility. Exactly, an unauthorized use of, of a facility. It's authorized for specific purposes. That's not one of the purposes it's authorized for. But we do have uh, the instruction uh, to be benevolent, and maybe we could use the church building to help uh, with a benevolent need uh, that may arise. And maybe uh, we have a, a member of the church who has uh, no place to stay. Maybe we could use uh, the church building for that purpose. Well, uh, th- that's a possibility. There may be other possibilities, too, as to how to accomplish that need. But it has to be an authorized work of the church 
uh, and then judgment has to be implied as to whether that's the best way to accomplish that work. But it first has to be an authorized work. I like what Jim said there. Again, uh, you know, we read it in his first comment that you can't do something without faith. With faith, if you don't have authority for it. So if, we, if we're going to have, authority, have faith and we've got to have faith to be pleasing to God, we've got to have authority for the things that we do. All right, we got an email, uh, in an email from Don. He says, there is authority to have a church building for people to meet in. The problem is when the building is thought of as something sacred. Uh, he says, for instance, some people are against meeting in houses or in buildings that do not look like a traditional-looking church. Also, those congregations that have fellowship halls see nothing wrong with having meals and even parties in the fellowship halls, but would never think of eating in the actual assembly room where they have church. This reminds me of the Mormon temple, which they have what they call a celestial room, where they believe one can become closer to God than from any other place on earth. In reality, it's just a room, and you can't get any closer to God from that room than you could from an outside toilet. Well, I think Don makes an interesting point, but I, I think he's right. In other words, we have uh, this is the point you were making, Jacob. We have authority exclusively for the building can only be used for the purposes that the Lord has authorized. The Lord has not authorized the church to be in the business of providing common meals and recreational pursuits. And so, therefore, those who have fellowship halls and so forth, they don't have authority for that because there's no authority for the church providing for such purposes. And, you know, I'm, I gave a pretty outlandish example there of using the facility, the screen and the projection system and the, la and the sound system for a theater. Now, that's an outlandish example, but there are religious organizations that are doing just that, uh, using their facilities for the purposes of entertainment, and we just don't have any authority from the New Testament for the church to be involved in the uh, entertaining of, of Christians or non-Christians. Exactly right. We've got an email again from Jason in Pennsylvania who says, The church is given the command to assemble. This is a general command. We must find the most expedient way to fulfill the command since the specifics of where to assemble were not given. So we can meet in homes, rent, or buy a building, depending on which is the most expedient way. Most of the questions and confusion I hear on this issue are based on what is is the most expedient way of assembling. You know, that's, a, that's an important point that Jason makes there. In regards to expedience, they are exactly that. They are judgments as to what is the best way. Now, since that's the case, then we have to be the kind of people who would be submissive. In other words, I might have a very strong opinion that the best place for us to assemble is in a cave somewhere. Maybe I know where there's a cave that has a large room and it's easy to get into and out of, and I think the church should meet in that cave. It's air-conditioned all year round, free of charge. But but a lot of the other members of the church, in fact, everybody else in the church thinks I'm a nut about that, and they don't want to do that. They want to do something else. Well, you ought to have a fight and throw down right now. You know, but I'm very insistent that this is the best choice. Well, it obviously is not the best choice if, if not all agree. As you say, we're not, and we should not come to blows. I should be submissive. In other words, I really might think that that's a good solution to the problem, but nobody else does, and therefore I've got to be submissive to the judgment of others in that regard. Expedients are judgments. They are authorized judgments, and, and since they are judgments, then we can yield and be submissive in these matters, and we shouldn't have to be very strong to pursue our own opinion. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I have heard, and I think Jason implies this in his email, and I have heard and known of instances where people have literally, you know, uh, hard fights over 
questions about the church building, where, when, and how it would be built, and so forth. And we ought to be submissive in this. It's a judgment call. Good judgment has to be used, and we should be willing to yield to one another in regards to these judgments uh, because of the nature of the thing. You know, too often, though, we have the uh, idea that our judgments should be law, that uh, people ought to agree with our judgment, or else if they don't, they're going to go straight to hell. And when we set up our judgment as being the final answer and the final authority, then we have established a law that we're going to be subject to ourselves. And when we place other, our judgment as an authority on others, we're going to have to be willing to take that same in reverse. We'll have to be willing to submit to their judgment as well as being the law. And we're not, we, we definitely don't want that. And so we've got to make sure that we are submissive as we deal with our brother. I think that's right. One other question. Now, we've talked tonight, I think, about a couple of important questions. One on uh, the church treasury, whether it's scriptural to have it, and the other on the church building. One other question has been suggested, and it's a question um, about how, the, you know, we said the money could be held in treasury. What about how that money is, is, what's done with that money while it's in the treasury, Jacob? That's a question people ask, you know. There are plenty of things, options that we might use. We've got a sum of money now. Sometime it might be a rather substantial sum of money. Maybe we ought to do something with it. Well, I knew of a church that had uh, a large sum of money, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in their treasury, and it was placed in investment accounts. Like like mutual funds or the stock market and some, something of that nature. Sure. I've heard people suggest that. Uh, maybe invest in stocks, mutual funds, CDs, or something of that nature that's going to yield an interest return. Or at the very least, what, what about putting the money into an interest-bearing account? Well, you know, if you could get a high enough rate of return, theoretically, if you got your treasury built up to, to a certain amount, then you could just live off of the interest of that account, and you could accomplish all of your evangelism, all your benevolence, and you could quit giving on Sunday morning. You could just use the interest off of that account. In other words, sort of have an endowment, and the income on an endowment so great that it would fund all the things we wanted to be do. an annuity. You'd never have to give again. Wouldn't that be a good plan? Well, obviously that's uh, trying to illustrate the, the thing by using the extreme. Uh, I, I think that we have to go back to the Scripture. What's the authority? Where's the authority? We, we talked about this earlier. What's the authority for the church? How does it come by its funds to do its authorized work? We said earlier there's only one bit of information available about that. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2 says that the church came by its funds to do its authorized work by a first day of the week contribution of the saints. It does not say they got that money by making investments. By garnering interest on a sum of money held in an in a, uh, investment of some kind. And so, again, if we're going to have Bible authority for it, I know that there are those who would differ with us on this question, but if we're going to have Bible authority for it, I, I just think that we cannot be investing the church's money. And to be careful and technically accurate in this, I, I, I prefer personally prefer not even an interest-bearing account for the holding of these funds. It's, now, we might put it in a bank somewhere just for safekeeping, but it's possible. I know it's possible because it's done. I know churches that do it. You can put money into a, into a, a bank account that bears no interest. They will, they will administer the safekeeping of the funds. They won't charge you for doing that, and you can request not to receive interest on that. 
and I think that's the very safest thing to do. And you're saying that because we just have the only one example of how the church is to obtain money for the treasury, and that being by the giving of the saints as they've been prospered. Exactly right. Now, the, I don't know how much time we've got, but the, the follow-up question comes, what if the church, for instance, we said it could own a church building. Now, say 30, 40 years have passed, and the church has decided that expedient, a good expedient would be to build a new facility uh, in, in, a, in a slightly different location, maybe with, with more up-to-date uh, uh, facilities to accommodate the work. But now we've got this old building. Maybe, maybe the whole property 30 or 40 years ago, maybe they paid $50,000 for it, and now that property is worth $300,000. It could be more than that, or even more than maybe. Maybe this property has become very commercially appealing. Maybe it's worth a million dollars. You know, that has happened. Now, what do we is the church obligated to sell the property for what it originally paid for it, or can they do otherwise? What's your thinking on that? Well, uh, the purpose of owning the property wasn't so that they could make that million dollars off of that initial investment. And so I think that would have to go into the equation. In other words, you're saying the building, the, the property wasn't bought with the purpose of, of making a huge profit. It may they, turn, didn't, they didn't build, buy and build the church building on speculation that someday down the road they would right. make a profit. That, I think that's the key. The church is not in the real estate speculating business and didn't do it for that purposes. They're going to sell the property for reasonable current value and use the money to, to, to uh, provide a, a different facility and so forth. I would argue that the, that the building can be sold for its current value it's not that we're buying and selling property for the purposes of making gain, but this is just a question of its value, selling something for value and investing in other in other causes. All right. Well, a good discussion tonight. Uh, Anthony, you, how was it there uh, back at the main controls? Everything, Everything good here, here at, at uh, ground, control. ground Control? I'm getting a little getting feedback, a little feedback right, right now. now. Well, uh, has your pulse gone down any? I think, I think uh, uh, I'm doing okay, doing okay right, right now. So well, uh, I think it was a successful first guest hosting, though, on the virtual Bible study tonight. Yeah, a few, a little, few bumps little bumps and hiccups, and hiccups but hopefully it wasn't too bad for our listeners out there. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for uh, manning the controls. Thanks for everybody who's listening tonight on the virtual Bible study. We hope you make it a regular appointment. We hope to, Lord willing, be back with you again next Thursday night for another edition of the virtual Bible study. We'll let Anthony sign us off tonight. Anthony, why don't you take it from here? Sounds good. All right. right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you join us again next week. Uh, We hope you continue to study God's Word daily and strive to live by it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.